Welcome to Ancient Answers, where we discuss the interesting and historical aspects of ancient history and how they relate to our world today. I'm Gordon. And I'm Shane. And welcome to, actually, Season 2. We'll have a special episode uh, introducing Season 2, but today's topic is an interesting one, particularly in light of the era that we are living through, <laughs> yeah, and that events. is medicine. Yes, we're going to talk about medicine today. We talked about plagues in Season 1. But today we're gonna. It's this is a slightly happier discussion. I this think. is this is the follow up <laughs> to plagues in a way that when you get a plague, you need medicine. So how do the ancient people deal with medicine and uh, and 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 how do they look at health? Yeah, in general. Yeah. So um, I found some pretty interesting stuff. Now in Western civilization today, we attribute a, a lot of what we know, and and medicine in particular is one of those categories. We attribute it to the ancient Greeks. And That's right. That is certainly true in the case of medicine and, again, many other things. But what I found very interesting while digging a little bit deeper is that the Greeks had their own roots in medicine. And they could trace their knowledge back to the Egyptians who could in turn trace their knowledge back to the Mesopotamians. So, Well, has the issue been just we don't find a lot of recorded incidences in Egyptian and Mesopotamian records? But we do with Greek. Well, and I think that that's part of that might be um, that's a very distinct possibility that we might just not have as many written records from those uh, different civilizations because I think in, in general we just have a, a plethora of, of Greek records compared to a lot of other areas of Europe in general. Um, but I, I suspect that there might be a little bit of confirmation bias in there as well, where because mm, we have course. such a rich Greek written history, and especially from the, the Roman period that was so heavily influenced by the Greeks, we, we do have such rich, thorough records from those two civilizations that well, that's right. to drown yeah. out some of the other ones. Yeah, later Roman minds would have adopted a lot of the Greek thoughts and disseminated throughout the whole empire. Yeah, exactly, yeah, of exactly. So... Uh, so I, I found it was pretty interesting that uh, looking back, I found a really fascinating article on um, ancient Mesopotamian healthcare and medicine. And uh, as recommended from some uh, listeners of ours, we're, I'm going to start posting our sources so that other people can read up on some of this information if they're so interested. Um, but I found a, a really interesting article called uh, Healthcare in Ancient Mesopotamia. And it actually talked about some of the origins of medicine. As I mentioned uh, we take a lot of our, or we associate a lot of the origins with ancient Greece, but it does go further back than that. So one prime example is the caduceus. So, oh yeah, see, the the two snakes on the stick. Yeah, exactly. So you, you see it on ambulances everywhere and on hospitals everywhere. It's it's the staff that's entwined with two serpents. That's associated with uh, Asclepius, I believe, is the Greek uh, yeah. the Greek healer. Yeah, um, but that actually goes back much much further to ancient Mesopotamia, where it was a goddess Gula who was the goddess of health and healing, and it was she had two sons, Damu and Ninazu. And the Caduceus is actually associated with her son, Ninazu. So he was a god of health and healing as well as death and rebirth. Ah, right. Or, or death and death and life, sorry. But there was a there was an aspect of regeneration along with that. Um, his symbol, he was heavily associated with serpents. And when you think about it, it does make a lot of sense because the snakes snakes shed their skin and so that was interpreted by the ancient peoples as sort of a, a regenerative regeneration cycle. of course yeah. yeah so that's why the snake and the serpent were associated with that bridge between life and death and, and health and healing and, and death and dying and ninazu's symbol was a staff intertwined with two serpents so that would go back 
then we know our chronology a bit, that would mm-hmm. go back into the first millennia BC, oh. a thousand years before the, the, the classic period of Greece, where we, we inherit the writing mm-hmm. that, you know, the different it, thinkers and different, you know, the early physicians in yeah. Greece that began to write down uh, I would suspect, un- unfortunately, I didn't find any solid timelines, but uh, I would suspect that it goes back even further than that. Because Possibly, the, yeah, of the records, the records that I saw, I got more solid timelines on the Egyptian part of it, which we'll we'll talk about in a couple of minutes. But um, so, but just to give a, a sort of a timeline, the Egyptian history that I was finding was taking place around uh, twenty six, twenty seven hundred oh, BC in the in the old dynasties of era. ancient really Egypt, really that far back, and, and the Mesopotamian. Um, information that I found actually predates that. So we're talking like 27th, 28th century before the birth of Christ. Okay, so you're talking, okay, even that is a kind of a new thing for me because yeah. I had some knowledge and some of the reading I did, mm-hmm. but in terms of timing, I mean, uh, you know, the first pharaoh of Egypt is somewhere around 3200 BC, is okay. kind of what they're yeah. doing. My, my Egyptian history is not is very patchy, so I'm going to rely on you. Oh, that's no, that's fine. <laughs> the the uh, so interesting that there would be records, readable records as early as that in pieces. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much. I, I was surprised to find out that even in going back to Mesopotamia, what is now Iraq and and uh, Syria and that area, sort of today, that there are. There are written records that go back to 2800 mm-hmm. yep. BC that are legible in early, early forms of cuneiform. Yep. And there's not that many people that can read cuneiform on the planet. I think I heard there's about 30. <laughs> so I'm not I'm, all cuneiform. I'm not surprised. <laughs> Apparently, it takes like 30 years of research and reading because it has all the complexity of Chinese oh, with boy. characters. Everything is a different character. Okay. With the fact that the language structure is quite different from anything that. Uh, modern languages reflect. Oh, it's 4,000 so years old. It's, so. <laughs> it's good luck with that one. Uh, and then you throw in there, you got Akkad and Sumerian, totally unrelated languages uh, that use the same writing system. Oh, oh, good. You imagine the confusion caused by that. All right, well, we know we got cuneiform, but which, who's speaking this? Do we have the Akkadians? Do we have the Sumerians? Do we have the... I never thought of, I never thought about that. I, whenever I learned about cuneiform, it was just cuneiform. Yeah, we thought, just, oh, it's all the same language. Yeah. Actually, there's other languages that used that style of writing, oh, and everyone had their own uh, dialects yeah. of the little characters being slightly different for different regions. Okay. So you can imagine... Uh, I mean, not to jump too far ahead, that was one of the great insights of of, of uh, the first emperor of China in about 220 BC was to, to finalize, you know, to standardize yeah. the characters of the Chinese uh, vocabulary. Okay. So that everybody knew what the symbols were and they weren't yeah. going to change them. Uh, but before that, uh, the cuneiform actually changed uh, almost from generation to generation. Yeah. Well, so no wonder it, it makes it difficult to have reliable written records but the fact that we do have reliable yeah. written records from that far back on these topics and you know why it's done you know why it's actually better today than before is of course computers oh yeah can start to recognize images and yeah. actually begin to to work in the help of the translation anyways yeah. the point is yes they have they have discovered that there are as you said mm-hmm. extensive medical notations yeah. at least 
you know, recipe books mm -hmm. for secret potions that would cure you from a variety of different ailments. Yeah. I mean, the kings and the 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 emperors they all wanted to to maximize their lifespan. Yep. And unfortunately. We all human. We're all subject <laughs> to the same forces of nature on this planet, and most of us don't yes. live forever. Yep. Well, and it's uh, it's funny that you, you you mentioned like the the written records and and the the recipe books and the potion uh, recipes and and these treatments because, um, you know, we would we would generally assume that ancient peoples knew less than than we did. You know, we've had a few thousand years of civilization to to catch up and develop and evolve this knowledge. Um, and I would think probably quantitative, for, yes. I yeah, agree. well, yeah. and for for a large part, I think that that would be a correct assessment. But it's still incredibly impressive to look back and realize just how much they did know and how much they did figure out. And and we do, we have found written records by, uh, from the Mesopotamian people over a long period of time. We're talking a couple hundred years, so we know that the treatments that they implemented were effective because. They kept writing them down over and over and over again over a long period of time. If it doesn't work, you're not going to keep doing it. So it's a pretty simple matter, in, or in that sense anyway, it's pretty simple to figure out like, yeah, this is probably pretty effective. And then, of course, they can always, depending on how accurate the translations are or how well understood they are, we can always try it. Nowadays. You know, that is an interesting premise to think mm -hmm. that did the ancient days use trial and error because that was really the only tool they had? versus we you and I are much much more aware that towards you know a later time of medieval and early modern time mm -hmm. superstition worked its way into medicine where things like bloodletting which didn't yeah. make sense that was because people had an unusual belief about what the reason for blood in the body was yeah. but we don't see that in the ancient days they didn't see that these That's the true. different humors of the body were bad yeah i i, I mean somehow that cre crept in over time uh, yeah. To where where the where the functions of the body were kind of seen as malfunctioning, yeah, and that all these drastic things had to be done. I mean, bloodletting went on for hundreds of years. Yeah, it was a very common practice, but it didn't really uh, it didn't really start in the ancient days. It it seemed to have started as the classical period started to collapse and Rome began to mm -hmm. to collapse out there. Yeah, because it was brought in by a lot of the religious views. Yeah, because I, 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 I haven't, I can't say I've, I've looked into bloodletting in any kind of degree. It's just an but example it, of well, but but the, the practice, the, yeah. yeah. But the times that I, I have heard about it and I've read about it, it's all been associated with essentially like the medieval ages, the medieval era. So, you know, sometime after the period that we we're talking about, because the body was seen as corrupt. Oh, where the ancients, in many ways, just well, saw the body as the body. Well, that that's it's interesting you bring that up because there was a little bit of that belief in in Mesopotamia and, and again later on in Egypt where um, a physical injury was very straightforward to diagnose. You know, you have a broken arm, you've got a laceration or a burn or, or what have you. That's that's pretty straightforward, and so they were able to treat injury with the same sort of methods that we would use today, where you know you splint the bone so that it can knit back together properly. You can apply. Um, like a, a poultice of some kind to prevent infection. So they would. There was a recipe where they would. They would actually apply antiseptics. Um, the Mesopotamians. It, they've got a recipe made from alcohol, honey, and myrrh. Uh, alcohol is a disinfectant. Honey has um, disinfecting and antibacterial qualities. So um, myrrh. 
don't know what that's for. Maybe it smelled nice. Who knows? It certainly <laughs> smells nice. Yeah. Uh, but uh, honey also acts as a, as a good seal as well and prevents anything else from, from getting in. So they know that this is a, an effective treatment that worked well. So when it came to physical injury, they had they, they did a good job. It was in the area of disease and chronic illness that the Mesopotamians, and again later on, the Egyptians fell short. They didn't understand. And understandable. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 complicated if you don't understand cellular you know, yeah. biology. Yeah. I mean, I always wonder that, you know, people always remember the different tools that we humans have invented, but the one of the most important was the microscope. That's true, yeah. When it suddenly opened up, hey, there's little beasties there. <laughs> uh, and, and we figured out what was the role. Of course, then we began cellular medicine, understanding why this and how the cells work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if they didn't have any of that knowledge, obviously, in the ancient day, they just had to go by inference and very carefully watching the symptoms that people yeah. manifest in order to figure that out. Yeah. In in, in Mesopotamia, they, they essentially had two different styles of doctor as well to, to deal with the sort of the, the physical injury or um, sort of the, the religious aspect of it. So the, the illness, because chronic illness and disease was associated with some sort of sin. It was because you did something wrong and now the cure was a form of redemption. Yeah, that's right. So it was, it was, there was a very heavy religious aspect behind it. Uh, so that there, I've got my notes right here. So there was the, the Asu was a medical doctor who treated uh, illness and injury empirically. So just using evidence and, and kind of the scientific method, you could say, I guess, in an early form. Uh, but then there was the Asipu, which was a healer who relied on magic. So it was essentially a physician versus a witch doctor. And okay. both of them were equ- were held in equal esteem within Mesopotamian society. And again, this all comes, uh, it was very similar in Egypt. The names were obviously different, but we do see that same sort of structure in Egypt as well, where there was one style of doctor that dealt more firmly with illness and, or with, uh, with injury, sorry. And then there was another one who dealt with the spiritual side of it. And they were looked at in both societies as very priestly figures. Um, like for example, in, in Mesopotamia, either doctor, uh, would be present in uh, childbirth. Now it was oh, mostly, okay. it was mostly like nurses and, and midwives who dealt with the birth itself. But the, um, the Asu, the medical doctor, uh, would, could act as an anesthesiologist and they could apply some herbs or, or, or give a treatment that would help reduce labor pains. But then they would call on the Asipu, the, the witch doctor, shaman style, to ward off demons that were said to abduct children and harm women in pregnancy. Oh, okay. So, so they worked together in a yeah. sense. Okay. Yeah, so they, they kind of covered, both, like one, one covered by our standards, the more solid, grounded scientific method. The other one was more religious belief, but they were seen as equally important in Mesopotamia <laughs> and then again in Egypt later. Like I said, the, there's, there's a lot of parallels to the two cultures, so we can sort of talk about the two of them together because the beliefs moved from one to the other. Yeah, and they're, and they're I mean, the two cultures w- were in close proximity to each other and yeah. traded back and forth, it made sense. Yeah, they're on the shores of the Mediterranean, and there are plenty of waterways to get to, to both and whatnot. Exactly. We, do, we do know that they interacted and traded with each other, so it makes sense that the beliefs moved from one to the other. And, and if you look at sort of a, a chronological calendar for the Mediterranean region, um, Mesopotamian society pops up first among the three that we've discussed. There's Mesopotamia, then Egypt, then Greece. So it makes sense that the medical beliefs sort of flowed in the they same flowed. in the same pattern and sort of commonly with the Greeks, where the ability to write it down, yeah, and 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 it happened to be saved to our time, yep. And uh, and I think there's a 
a genuine inquisitiveness mm-hmm. that was part of the, the the classic Greek period that we kind of recognized that they were mm-hmm. willing to look at the world and start trying to analyze how it yeah. operated. And that that's very true as well. And but I think you, you hit the the nail on the head when you mentioned their willingness to write it all down as well. Just the extensive records played a, a big big part for uh, for us anyway in Western civilization. I, I would expect. Uh, but we, we do know that they did have medical libraries. There's uh, uh, Ashur, uh, Ashur Banipal. Oh, yeah. Ashur Banipal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a, a, a medical library that they've discovered in, in ancient Mesopotamia. That's right. Um, Something like 2,800 or 28,000 yeah. cuneiform tablets that the library was set on fire. Yep. And, and all the shelving wooden shelving collapsed and the heat helped even extubate <laughs> yeah. the tablets. Yeah, yeah. All, all the clay tablets were fired and preserved essentially uh, when the when the whole place burned down. So we've we found that library and we've been able to determine that the uh, the Mesopotamians actually did know a fair bit about medicine. That's true. I am aware from the pre-reading before the, the recording today mm-hmm. is that yeah, although there is one little sad aspect about that it goes yeah. back to a prior episode. Something like sixty percent of the tablets are actually tax records. Oh. <laughs> yes, there are medical records in there. That's what we're talking okay, about. Okay, I didn't know that. I just thought <laughs> death and taxes shows up again. Oh, jeez, that's that's a line in the movie V for Vendetta. The the same thing is true of all of the most reliable records are tax records. <laughs> And that's a movie about like a dystopian future not too far from now, but it's still true in ancient Mesopotamia. I didn't know that yeah, there was a lot of tax records. I read it was one of the things I had come across that they said the majority of the of the tablets are actually tax records and commerce records. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, we humans really haven't changed. Oh, jeez, that's hilarious. That's terrible, but it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it's it's pretty neat stuff that I've been finding. Like, this is a, a good topic, and they've also talked about libraries in in Egypt. And uh, um, once again, there was a lot of that same association between medicine and religion. Uh, there was a lot of overlap between the two. Uh, they had the same sort of relationship with the doctors, where it was one was more of what we would consider a modern medical professional, and the other was more of a shamanistic witch doctor style. So. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, again, a lot of the parallels there. But uh, like I said, we, we also learned that uh, uh, Egyptians referred to medicine as the necessary art. And they weren't doctors, per se, who, well, by modern standards, we would call them doctors. But they were actually looked at as priests in the days of ancient Egypt. Uh, and they were priests of uh, Perak, the house of life. Ah, uh, right. Yes. yes. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we're we're coming up to the end of the uh, episode. I I'm gonna make uh, a bold suggestion. Why don't we do a part two? <laughs> yeah, you know what? Do, Something tells me that there's a lot to talk about. I in mean, medicine this is category. a fundamental part of humans, and and I can bring a little bit of what I uh, what I had looked up in terms of ancient China. Okay. Yeah. And actually, interesting enough, some ancient Indian. Okay. Aspects of medicine. Oh, okay. So, that, yeah, yeah, those we are two cultures. Had a chance to get to them. Yeah, those are two cultures that I am very unfamiliar with. So wow. I'm looking forward to hearing about that. They've for sure. got great legacies. We'll, yeah. we'll pick up that. So that's our, uh, that's our, actually our first episode for the season that's, here. Yeah, first episode for of season two. Answers. Yep. And uh, we thank you all to listen in. And uh, I'm Gordon. I'm Shane. And we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> <laughs>